Welcome to Episode Party, a podcast about some of our most favourite podcasts. I'm Freddie Harrison. I'm Jack Tudor. And this, uh, once again, is a special bonus episode. Uh, We did one of these last time to discuss the merits and the wonders of S-Town, not too long after it had been released, um, although you'd have heard it slightly later, because we're always recording ahead of time here. And this episode we are doing something very similar in the last episode you, you'll have heard from us we, we chatted with uh, my good friend james walsh and the podcast that i recommended everyone listen to um somewhat timely without realizing it was reply all and i recommended quite an old episode called zardulu which is just an excellent episode but not long after we recorded that not long after the the episode was released uh, reply all released to absolutely stunning episodes called long distance parts one and two respectively and in my opinion they are by far the best um reply all episodes that i've ever heard and i think have ever been created and it's caused quite a stir i mean at the moment i know that on um on pocket casts i don't know if it's the same for every other app but on pocket cast they are sitting quite comfortably in the top charts right now um and it's just that kind of um it's that kind of power of like a single episode or in this case two episodes can can really shoot you up the charts and i think that's probably testament to just how good these two episodes are so with that in mind I, i i said to jack that we needed to do another bonus episode where we 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 discuss these um, these two reply all episodes, um, long distance part one and long distance part two, in a little bit more detail. Jack, does that sound like a a good explanation of why we're recording? why we're here today? <laughs> why yeah, we're it does. Here. Why we're all gathered here today? It does because I think S Town warranted a wider discussion because the story there was so much depth and ambiguity for a lot of it i used the word ambiguity a lot last time as well but there was there was things that could be deliberated and reevaluated. and i think with reply all there's so much to dive into here not just from the perspective of the story that they embarked on here but i think it's also just a perfect microcosm of reply all as a podcast and what they do so well it's almost like a celebration of what they've gathered up to this yeah. point as a podcast identity so freddie lucky for you given that we're already recording i am all for this <laughs> good um i suppose it'd probably be helpful for me to very briefly uh, give a quick rundown of the kind of synopsis of long distance part one and part two um but if you haven't already and you are listening to us i suggest you pause us right now and you go and track down long distance part one and part two they're episode number 102 and 103 of reply or respectively um and and listen to them first and and really take those in because um, everything we're about to say is quite spoiler laden i'd imagine yes um so effectively uh, long distance starts with with Alex Goldman receiving a robocall, one of those kind of automated phone calls, telling him that his iCloud has been compromised. Um, his iCloud account has been compromised, which is hilarious because this is the kind of thing that you would never actually happen. Um, Apple would never send out a robocall to tell you that your iCloud account has been compromised. It just doesn't happen. Um, I've had my iCloud account compromised, and I can assure you that they don't actually send out any information to you. You have to find it out yourself on a Sunday. Sunday morning and wonder why someone's been buying films on your account that you'd never ever buy um <laughs> and then they're a bit dumbfounded by it too but that's a different story anyway so alex goldman gets this call and it, and, it, and it gives you a number to to call because your icloud's been a bit hacked now 
most normal people i think he does recognize this on the call that most most people would ignore this but he being a journalist and and being a podcaster about technology and the internet decides that the best thing he could do is is call this number and find out more so he's in the reply all studio and and he calls the number and he records the conversation and he gets through to this guy who calls himself alex martin and says he's technical support um very vaguely says he's technical support who proceeds to take him through this process um, and says that they will need to remotely access Alex Goldman's computer to see what's happened. Um, now, at this point, again, a normal person, alarm bells would be ringing. You, you wouldn't let it happen. But Alex Goldman does. Now, I can't remember, Jack. He doesn't do it on the first call, does he? He does it on the second call. He calls back and lets them do it. The first call, he kind of he said, he kind of starts asking questions, and then that's the end of the call kind of thing. Yeah, he keeps basically annoying them to the point where they hang up he gets too excited about Mm. saying i know what you're doing and then they they hang up so it's a gradual process (laughs) but anyway so he he eventually lets them into his computer and they they use like a remote screen sharing piece of software the kind of thing you can you can do for free right now and um they open up terminal which is the command prompt on 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 a mac and they type in and they use they run a thing called netstat which basically shows you some stats about your internet connection all the rest of it looks kind of like like you know complex and hard to do but it's it's very easy and then the the guy on the at the end of the phone that alex goldman is talking to uh, minimizes the window as small as possible um and then starts typing some stuff and then when the window gets maximized again in the window it says zeus trone detected which is like has now become an immortal line effectively that's a typo for for those of you not in the know that's a typo it should have said zeus trojan protective but they missed the j out of trojan so it said trone so i've already seen at least one person with a reddit username that's zeus trone detected no way. um and pj vote sometime during the time that long distance release just tweeted zeus trone detected oh, um, yeah. so which I has now that. become one of my favorite things i also saw someone else tweet it as well it was quite it was quite good anyway so then the the idea idea is basically it's a it's kind of a classic scam they say oh you, you've got this trojan you've got a problem with your computer you're gonna have to buy this antivirus software which costs two three hundred dollars or something like that anyway so it's gone again kind of explains that he, he knows exactly what's going on and they have a you know a further conversation and he, he has to ring back a few times and sometimes the responses he gets at this point are insulting um sometimes there's a wild justification for for why um for, you know the, the hatred of the west or something like that for, for why they're, they're scamming people or I think at one point one of the guys says that they just look for people who sound like they might be rich according to their name and, <laughs> and, and, and go for them I really like that one oh, in the first call that was it in the first call this was brilliant the Alex Martin guy does the whole we are anonymous we are legion speech oh yeah um, and it's really hard not to find it hilarious Anyway, so after like many, many calls, he gets chatting to this Alex Martin guy because he eventually gets back onto the phone to him and Alex Martin says, oh, I now realise that you you were pretending to be a different person when you rang me the last time. Um, You know, I'm really impressed by that. And they start chatting kind of casually like two friends, which is very odd for someone who's trying to scam you. And they, they kind of talk about where this alex martin guy is he's he's in india where you know what what he does what he enjoys doing outside of work why he does scamming how much money he earns and all the rest of it and then the end of the episode is alex goldman kind of casually mentioning that the logical next step would be to travel to india to try and find alex martin and that's a fantastic end to that episode because you can already imagine how that might play out but i think in reality when you listen to long distance part two you you can't predict necessarily how interesting the situation gets and effectively, yeah, Long Distance Part 2 is uh, Alex Garman and Damiano Marchetti, who's one of the producers of Reply All, uh, travelling to India, seemingly very unprepared. <laughs> yeah. I've had, like, uh, one of the things that a lot of people seem to have pointed out, which is bizarre and and it's kind of been confirmed that they were very unprepared by their like um their responses to a reddit ask me anything that they did um was that they they traveled to india without any kind of translator they had a driver they had a native driver 
but he didn't do any he wasn't like a fixer he was just a driver so he didn't set anything up he didn't translate for them he didn't speak to anyone on their behalf and there's a point where they try and go into like a shopping mall and they're they're walking in with recording equipment and the security guard says that they can't have this you know the recording equipment out and they try to communicate with the security guard but the security guard doesn't speak english and it becomes a real issue, um, and they end up just putting their recording gear away. How much do you reckon of that is a deliberate thing as a sort of marker of Repile's way of doing things? I guess we'll maybe talk more about this later, but when they go out there without a translator to a country where they do not speak the native language, that's an absurd idea. And a company like Gimlet, which clearly has enough expertise within investigative reporting to go, oh, India, yes, uh, that may be an issue that we're going to come up against. You think someone would mention it, but do you think there's a certain, let's just set them up to blunder? I don't 100% know. I'm just trying to find, there is, on this Reddit, ask me anything, there was, um, someone did ask Alex Goldman about why they kind of seemingly were so unprepared. Hmm. And um, he did answer it. I don't think that basically. I don't think it was that well thought through on their behalf. I think they kind of just they just kind of went for it. That's what it kind of feels like is they just kind of went for it without really putting too much in place. Um, <laughs> and 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 as the episode progresses, you know, it, it starts to get even more interesting because there's points where they're seemingly not massively, but they're seemingly in in danger. To, mm. to some extent, there are bits where there's talk of involving uh, the local authorities to prosecute or at least, you know, uh, ward off Alex and Damiano. And there there are parts when they're trying to infiltrate a building uh, that they weren't invited into and were clearly effectively warned away from going to. So in that sense... It does make you wonder why they didn't, but it does make for such a brilliant episode. It reminds me a lot of S-Town. Yeah. Because the, the, the reportage in that was very much, you know, there wasn't a big crew of people turning up and trying to make sense of what's happened. It was just one guy in amongst a bunch of people he didn't know, didn't know who he could trust, trying to make sense of it. And it's a very similar situation when Alex and Damiano go to India. And I think... That's what makes it so good, is that it, there's a genuine uh, sense of trepidation in there. I guess is is a good way of a good way of putting it. I mean, effectively, the call center that was kind of uh, orchestrating all of this uh, makes every effort to hide itself from Alex and Damiano because Alex Martin, who turns out to be a guy called Kamal. And his boss, who's a guy called Deepak, they, they are they meet with Alex um, Goldman and Damiano multiple times throughout the kind of episode, and they do everything they can to kind of not even necessarily throw them off the scent in the sense they were trying to do it covertly. In some cases, they they just try and tell them to not bother, and it just becomes really clear it's a very shady operation. But there's a brilliant moment at the end where Alex Goldman is on the phone to Kamal. And he just <laughs> lets rip. And it's a beautiful monologue from Alex Goldman where he kind of all his frustrations around these scams and these robocalls suddenly kind of come to fruition. And and I, I, I think it's a it's a brilliant ending. Jack, I've gone on for long enough. What are your kind of overall thoughts? So I think you were right to talk about this in the context of S-Town. And I think one of the big parallels for me was going in with the idea that there's a particular story taking place and then realising that that story isn't the story at all and that something else is unfolding out of that. And the difference between S-Town and Reply All in that sense is that S-Town... In S-Town, the story evolved and became something different out of serendipity really just this right place right time this gradual learning of information with reply all it's the belligerent tenacity of alex (laughs) goldman 
that basically brute forces this other story out of the original one. So <laughs> when I first listened, I put on the first part of this two-parter and basically it starts with what sounds like a walkthrough of what happens when you get scammed and what is what what basically are they doing if you let allow that scam to run its course what happens and then what's really really interesting i find is that there's a moment where it explicitly flips and it's the moment that this call center calls him back after he's been calling them up and there's that reverse of flow Basically, it initiates the start of this new chapter of the story where they've revealed this humanity to them almost, where it's like clearly there's been some discussions taking place in that call centre, or at least this Alex Martin chap has been thinking about this Alex Goldman character and has called him mm-hmm. back, and suddenly you're aware of that there's this human side of this call centre and there's a, there's a side there to be explored. And then I just absolutely love the way that Alex Goldman then proceeds to basically barrage these people. And you can hear, basically, there's, there's a sort of like internet troll prank caller side to Alex, which I think comes out in full force here, where he's just, you can hear that he's so gleeful about these interactions that he's having with these call centre people who are getting gradually more annoyed at his repeated calls. And there is an incredible moment where I think his desire to basically just play with people transcends any kind of investigative utility where he puts... Basically, he allows someone onto his computer and then changes his background to a Facebook picture from people who are actually in the call centre itself so that when they log onto his computer, (laughs) they see their own faces. And it's just like, okay, that's kind of a way of gradually letting on that he's kind of getting into the guts of this call centre but at the same time Mm. it's because he wants to hear their reaction and that's what I love about this is that there's a genuine sincerity that's driving this in that there's there's a real reporter in Alex Goldman and that he wants to get to the truth but what's also driving this whole story forward is that childish desire to get vengeance really on someone who's trying to scam him and uh, right, yeah, that's what I love. And what what what's great about this two part this episode, this two part episode, is the fact that it keeps alternating between these moments of being quite serious and taking its subject quite seriously, and then just moments of going back to the fact that Alex Goldman is quite a bumbling man, that they haven't been very prepared, that it's all very <laughs> slapdash, <laughs> and it's great. And that that's what I think keeps Reply also fresh, is that they straddled that line so well. They do. Um, I, I just looked up on the Reddit, Ask Me Anything, by the way, and someone does question why they didn't have a native speaker travel with them. And they make reference to the uh, native journalists, the, the Indian journalists who they had work with them during the kind of latter stages of part two episode where she went to the call centre and posed as someone who was applying for a job and managed to get in the building, and then they couldn't. Um, and they said, oh, you know, things really started, you know, rolling once you got her involved. You know, why didn't you have a native speaker from the beginning? And, and Alex Goldman's reply simply says, we work with some native speakers, but we didn't hire a fixer. Reasonable people may disagree with the wisdom of that decision. Which suggests to me that I think they knew quite quickly that they probably should have done that. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a very eloquent way of being like, whoops. I think, you, you know, you picked up on one of the beautiful things about it is because we've all had those attempts at scamming us in one form or another. And there's always a small part of you that says, yeah, but what if I just go along with it? What if mm. I just see what happens? And then the sensible part of you kicks in and says, that's not a good idea. <laughs> and... Alex Goldman is the non-sensible part of you running riot. (laughs) And he also happens to have a budget to travel to India where the call centre is that's initiating these scams. Yeah. And that's what... And it is that non-sensible situation because there's not a lot of, like, you know, when they travel to India, you realise they don't really have much of a plan. Their plan was turn up at the call centre, hope to be let in and maybe speak to some people there. And... It doesn't take a lot to realise that that's never going to happen. <laughs> but you, you just want to listen and find out if they can. And they almost do. They almost do. And the bit where they get 
the local journalist to, to go in who's who's done some really big stories on these big Indian call centers that are scamming people and they get her to go in and and um pretend she's applying for a job and so she just walks straight through the front door past the receptionist walks in sits down does her interview comes out and then you know five ten minutes later alex and damiano go up to the call center and the whole place is shut like the, the lights are out and there's someone behind the door but the door is locked and that's when you realize how incredibly shady the whole thing is but if you put yourself in their shoes would would you go up to that door would you even try and get in because you just don't know what's on the other side do you i mean obviously it's a bunch of people in the call center but like there's a bit earlier on where they're having dinner with kamal and deepak the the two guys from the call center and deepak kind of boasts about slapping or like beating up effectively um alex martin who's this kind of, like, semi-fictitious character who we're, we're pretty sure is Kamal, but they seem to act like he's someone different. And Deepak talks about the idea that he, he's beaten them up and he's got, you know, he's got, like, a mangled thumb or something like that. I, there's, there's a description of it in, in the episode. And that's, like, a moment of real danger. That's the kind of stuff that sensible part of your brain protects you from. Yeah. <laughs> But clearly that's not present in Alex Coleman and that's what makes it so brilliant. I feel like we should probably clarify that we're definitely not bad-mouthing them here. It's 100% brilliant and it's incredibly brave and interesting work. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does come from a place of mild foolishness. Totally, and they completely play off that as well. I think it's bigged up because they know by now that the identities of the two hosts are so well-established Alex Goldman is the klutz and the idea of just rolling this klutz into the heart of India and saying go on basically you've you've got your setup right there even if he didn't have anything to go for you know that would have been a, a an interesting development but i mean there is definitely moments there's a moment where i think they've tried both addresses that they've got on file for that call center and neither of them seem to be coming through they stake out one of the addresses and it's useless. They can't. No, like I don't think anyone goes in at the time they expect people to stop be starting work. Um, yeah. And you're sat there listening to it, and you can see. I mean, I checked the time left on the podcast at this point. There's half hour left, and I was just like, "This looks like a dead end to me." They don't have any more information. The guy that invited them over is not coming back to them. They've tried calling Kamal. He doesn't come back to them at all. Basically, he's just abandoned them. They're stuck with the information that they've got available to them about where these call centres are, or this one call centre is. And they're stuck. And you're just like, well, what happens now? Like, this is why you prepare. This is ridiculous. But it's that exact same energy and the, the, the inability to plan ahead, or the unwillingness to think too far ahead and to just go gung-ho on, on, on pure feeling rather than, you know prudent investigative planning that gets him into the situations later down the line and what makes this such a dynamic and an interesting story and i think one thing that's also worth saying which i think is quite crucial that this podcast does is that i think at the beginning alex channels the frustrations that you feel when you're scammed and that frustration comes out at directly at the person who's called you because this podcast goes deeper than the person that's called you it quickly switches tact and lifts the blame or the moral judgment upon the people who are running these call centers not the people who work there because i think that could have been too dangerous if it had spent the whole time just hounding these people who work there without really paying time to acknowledge the situations that may have brought them to that kind of work where perhaps mm. they didn't have the choice to make those kind of moral judgments, then mm. it could have been problematic. But the second part of this podcast is great because it makes that crucial switch. And that's why it's allowed to proceed, I think. Yeah, and I think there's an interesting thing in there as well, which is that this Alex Martin, Kamal character... So at the beginning, Alex Martin is is the guy that Alex Goldman speaks to on the phone. And he's the kind of... Alex Martin is the, the first kind of step in the scam. 
Um, he's the guy that kind of convinces you that, yes, your iCloud details have been compromised and that you need to speak to someone else in his team. And at that point, Alex Martin is just a guy who works in the call center. And then it becomes a situation where it, it becomes clear that he's not just any old guy in the call center. He's this guy called Kamal, who seems to be kind of almost running it or at least has a higher up role and it's interesting that you point out this kind of shift of frustration that goes from the poor person that's just making the calls to the person that is running the operation because alex martin slash kamal seems to straddle that yes. demographic and that's what makes it really interesting and and from from what i've read they're not clear even now, to what extent Alex Martin slash Kamal was blindly complicit or a ringleader. And, you know, towards the end of like the part two episode, he does attempt to kind of take control of the situation and kind of own it in a way, not in the sense that he admits guilt, but he tries to, you know, come down pretty hard on Alex Goldman and in a way that would suggest that he has a lot at stake but it's hard to tell whether it's he has a lot at stake because he's the business owner and he stands to lose a lot of money or that he's got this guy Deepak breathing down his neck and he you know he's potentially in trouble with him if Alex Goldman doesn't disappear and leave India and that's what's confusing, you know, because there's a, there's a point, I think, within, at the end of the part one episode of Long Distance, where uh, Alex Goldman and Kamal seem to be having these kind of regular conversations, and Kamal mentions that he thinks that his time at Costings, which is the name of this call centre, Costings, is is up, and he, he thinks he's going to go back home to his, his family, who are in rural India, who have, you know, farmland and all the rest of it. But there's lots of speculation as to whether that was ever true or that was just a completely made-up story i mean how you can't trust a person that's trying to scam you can you no and what i actually really like is the ending of this podcast where the call centers on lockdown when they go up to it even though the journalist has gone up before and had an interview there just prior it looks like there's no one in there's something so sinister about that and something that you can go right up to the door and there's still the impression that there's no one behind it and it's still inaccessible i think i think again it's almost like s town in that on the face of it and as you're listening to it it's kind of a dissatisfactory ending i'm going to do that again it's kind of a dissatisfactory ending but um as you reflect on it it feels apt for the subject matter and it feels symbolic of how that call centre operates and how it masks itself. Although, have you tried to get on quick PC resolve or accostings or anything? Um, you can't. They've 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 taken the sites down. However, yeah. are you familiar with Wayback Machine? Haha! <laughs> no, I, you, you I, can, I didn't check can, that out. You can find older versions of the Accostings website. I didn't check Quick PC Resolve, but I did check the Accostings website. And you can find that using Wayback Machine. And it's just kind of like, you know, loads of stock photos, loads of really woolly messaging about customer experience and stuff like that. Um, it's not even like explicit that they are a call centre, but they just provide customer experience or customer assistance. I think it's the kind of terminology they use using it's so vague and so i mean it's 100 percent a scam that's that's the uh it, it, yeah it's it's just a little bit all over the shop isn't it and this is where i'll draw another parallel with s town because i think we've 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 covered quite a lot of ground here and I, you know i don't want to go on for too long because i think people should just listen to it and enjoy it for what it is but one of the you know the, the things that i kind of want to conclude with to an extent is that uh, you'll be familiar with this term jack that um of in in music you have an imperfect cadence where when a song starts in uh, a certain key it usually starts with the root note and ends with the root note so if it's in the key of c it will start with the c and end with the c and an imperfect cadence is where you don't get that full closure either in terms of the amount of beats in a bar or you know a song stops kind of slightly earlier than you'd expect or it, it ends on a note or a chord that isn't 
the root note of the key. So, it, in, in other words, it's just an inc- it feels incomplete in a way that is often oddly satisfying. And I think both S Town and Long Distance Part One and Two they don't resolve themselves neatly. Yeah, in I, any way, and I, I, I think that's what makes them brilliant. Yes, and I think you can only do that if you give someone a whole bundle of thoughts to carry away with them. And, you know, it was one of those things with S-Town and with this one that it was still burning a hole in my mind long after I listened to it. I think had I come away and gone, well, that ended in a pretty abrupt way and then not considered it anymore, I think that would have been indicative of the fact that the ending wasn't well done. You need to... You can only get away with doing that if you are ending it upon questions which have real contemplative sustenance, I'd say. And that's, I think, what Reply All mm-hmm. does so so well with this one. Yeah, absolutely. And the monologue that Alex Goldman does at the end to Kamal is wonderful. Um, but then, you know, after that, he has that brief discussion with PJ, you know, in the studio, who, from what I understand, from what I've read, is uh, effectively they, they, they quite often work on stories separately to each other so they can cover more ground. And so, for the most part, PJ was very much in the dark about what was going on until it was all wrapped up, until they were kind of ready to bring it together as an episode and to kind of, you know, discuss it in full in the studio during a recording session which is which makes it even more brilliant because pj effectively plays the role of the audience because he asks questions of alex goldman like why on earth did you let a complete stranger who's clearly trying to scam you access your computer but towards the end alex goldman kind of has this kind of moment with pj where he says you know one of the things that you know my kind of motivation behind this was to to kind of scare these guys and and do something that most people who are being scammed can't do because they don't have the resource or the the knowledge or the time or the awareness i guess um and i think that was a really nice way to end it you know to try and wrap up something that couldn't effectively be wrapped up was to explain the kind of rationale behind it and to explain the rationale behind something that we we've already concluded was quite stupid in a, in a, in a way it's, it's quite good going it's um it was quite impressive i'd say yes i agree entirely um so what, what do we conclude on the, the reply all front it's it's really good and you should go listen to it which is i think the the conclusion that we make at the end of most episodes of episode party. in fact that is the premise of episode party is this is really good so go listen to it but i think if you've listened to our james walsh episode where i recommend um reply all definitely go listen to zardulu because i think it sits at the other end of the spectrum of reply all's appeal um do you think but so? if you're feeling like you need to, mm, I, I, well it's a lot more um silly in in not in a not kind of irresponsible journalism sense, but in a kind of like it, it's very inconsequential. We're effectively they're just unearthing a meme, not a financial scam. Do you know? Do you, that's that's what I mean. I think it's um it's it's entirely interesting and and entirely immersive, but for but in in subject matter that you know doesn't really have a negative impact on anyone's life, whereas this one does. Yes, I get that. I think the reason I queried it is because I almost... um, The methodology feels the same, in that it's Alex Goldman being blundering and overexcited about a subject. And also (laughs) I feel like there's a certain, like, he's... um, sort of severity agnostic in that he doesn't care whether it's something to do with a meme or whether it's a scam caller. He lunges into it full pelt and adopts that state of seriousness and eagerness and overzealous passion for what he's doing in a way which I think runs through both episodes to the point where they start out as this thing that, you know, you might take a casual interest in and move on to something which Mm. Alex Goldman grabs with both hands and then runs with to a a ridiculous extreme. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think that's that's the appeal of Repile 
on a large level, isn't it? You know, regardless of episode. Unintentionally, I guess, that's the character Alex Goldman plays. And I think that's why we uh, warm to him and we warm to the the podcast. So, uh, yeah, in conclusion, um, go listen to Long Distance Part 1 and Part 2. And if you've already listened and you've listened to us talk about it, I would heartily recommend just listening again. I've listened more than more than once now i've listened twice that's more than once um i've listened to yeah i've listened to both episodes twice and um it's just as good the second time round, if not ever so slightly better and also if you're so inclined go and read the ask me anything that alex goldman and damiana mckelly did on um on reddit primarily about long distance but also about reply all in general um it's it's humorous but it's also very very insightful into the kind of their their process or lack of at times jack you have other another point of discussion for this bonus episode um so maybe you can introduce that yeah radio lab so that's a podcast that i haven't listened to in a while uh, but my attention was drawn to Radio Lab recently because um, I got this. I, I, I've just started getting this newsletter, Fred. So I don't know if you've got it uh, as well. It's called Hot Pod, um, sent out by a chap called no. Nick Qua. So no, I, I don't. It's a guy who's basically primary, um, I guess, occupation. Really, he does other things, but this is like central to what he does. It's a newsletter all about podcasts and what's going on in the world of podcasts, and. One came in with the oh, subject line okay. of Radio Lab's kerfuffle. Um, right. Which was, uh, I mean, a, a wonderful use of the word kerfuffle. Um, and that I do was, love that word. It's excellent, you know, used sparingly but potently. I, I had a look at it and basically what had happened is, is Radio Lab had done this story uh, on the 10th of August where... Radio Lab seems to have what I would say are two main different types of story. They have one where they go out and they speak to people and they do a big investigation. And they have another type where they all sit in the studio and they stew on something, they talk about something and they deliberate on something. Not necessarily a particularly like current event could be within science right it could be within like relatively recent but not right now kind of news um such as the depth of their investigation because they go into stuff quite deep and it tends to take some time yeah absolutely so this one basically was called truth trolls and it was just a few of the hosts having a chat about something that had happened um relatively recently um where the actor shia labeouf who uh, I call him actor, obviously now he's branched out into multitudes of different pursuit. Um, (laughs) One of which um, took place or started on the day of Trump's inauguration, which was a a webcam that was set up at the Museum of Moving Image in Queens, New York, where basically he would stand with a load of people in front of a webcam that was streaming on the internet and saying, he will not divide us. And the idea was that people would go and say, he will not divide us into the camera. The stream would be going constantly for the entire duration of Trump's term in office. And so it was basically, I I assume, the idea that it resembles this idea that no one is content, or these people at least are not content, and just because there is a new president in, he does not symbolise what they value, uh, and they continue to resist. So the thrust of Radiolab's story centred on the 4chan reaction to this webcam setup, where Mm -hmm. 4chan in 4chan style of being basically opposed to anything that may also initiate some kind of extreme reaction or offence, decided this would be a prime target. I guess only uh, exacerbated by the fact that there's a Hollywood celebrity also involved. So they started to send people out to this webcam to basically... uh, Indulge in imagery um, and ideas that are in direct opposition to 
the premise of this um, installation that Shia LaBeouf had done. So they were using right. phrases that alluded to Nazism and white supremacy. They were using all kinds of other symbols that were also involved in Nazism as, as well, uh, and allusions to racism. And basically, radio, the, the problem with Radiolab's handling of this was that they described this story, and the story basically goes on where the webcam gets set up in another place. 4chan gather on the message board and using ridiculous things like um, the sounds of... At one point they talk about that uh, because the webcam at a certain point is pointed up into the sky so that no one can find out where it is. So basically 4chan yeah. can't find out where it is. They use the sound uh, that's on the web webcam which has certain types of frogs ribbiting just quietly in the background they look at where these frogs may be located, where they may be particularly populous, and they use that to kind of triangulate a position, along with like the stars in the sky, where they're positioned. So basically, they start talking about the tenacity of 4chan. What they never do at any point, in any depth, is talk about the fact that it's probably not great that there's this group of people who are using Nazi or white premise like images of white supremacy um in the bid just to piss people off and that that's a dangerous game to play uh yeah and has quite a lot of menace to it they don't really acknowledge that in their discussion and then two days after broadcasting this episode they took it down with a note from jad one of the main producers of radiolab just to say and one of the hosts as well just to say that they felt, in, in response to some comments they've had from audience members, they'd uh, learned that perhaps their tone wasn't great and that they were essentially, could be perceived to be condoning some quite unpleasant values and they decided to take the episode down. Which, the reason I wanted to bring it up is I think it's quite an interesting way to handle something like this. And I wondered, Freddie, because I texted you as soon as I found out that it had happened, because I thought it would be an interesting point of discussion. I don't know if you've listened to the, the, the episode itself, but the premise of taking down a podcast episode that maybe is met like outside of public favour? What what are your thoughts on that? I think there's there's two things that, that kind of baffle me about this. And the first is that these guys have been doing podcasting and, and radio journalism and audio-based journalism for a very long time. So how the episode ever made it out without the question of are we clear enough of our condemnation of this confuses me because i kind of feel like how how did they get that far without saying hang on a second like are we clear enough that when we're, we're not we're not cool with this ourselves yeah um or did the kind of journalistic need of impartiality override and say we're not here to pass judgment we're here to report and that that is a thing and i think there's a huge debate at the moment especially in america especially in american journalism where is there a moral obligation of journalists as a whole to take a more hardline stance on issues that are generally deemed to be uh, wrong or should they remain impartial and I think people who are generally opposed to to the rise of Trump and his presidency, and uh, I suppose it would be incredibly meta, but maybe appropriate to say that I'm also opposed to Trump's presidency. Um, <laughs> it, 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 I just thought we'd get it in there. That, you know, we're not going to make the same mistake, are we? Um, but I think I think that there there is a call on behalf of those people to say that actually now is the time for journalists to to pass some kind of judgment because it's certainly a case that far right um and right-leaning and conservative leaning uh media organizations uh will, will denounce the left for example um so i find that baffling that they never they never had that discussion or maybe had that discussion but decided that it wasn't worth doing especially in the current kind of political climate but then i guess the the second thing is uh, is there not a realization that once you put something out on the internet like that that there's no way back from it removing that episode from their rss feed does not mean that no one will ever hear that episode ever it's like that thing you can do where you uh recall an email 
there's like a function yeah. in certain email clients <laughs> where you can recall an email and it's like the, the email has already been sent i've already opened and read the email you recalling it doesn't take back the email doesn't take it back from my mind this isn't men in black like yeah. you know there's no way that you can suddenly erase my memory of this thing that's happened and i think as like particularly pertinent on the internet which is like you know people people say um all the time that you, you know you can post a tweet and if you're not happy with how that tweet's come across you can delete it but if it's been screenshot then it exists for as long as it wants to exist for you know th- there's always a version of it and i think well, you know the nature of podcasts is it's an rss feed of mp3 files you know someone somewhere has a raw copy of that mp3 file and could quite easily distribute it uh, on another platform that isn't Radiolab's official RSS feed. And therefore, that podcast exists again. And I think my initial reaction to this was, although I, I kind of applaud them for owning the mistake in the sense that they've put out this statement, and it does say that it's on them, and, and that's correct, but perhaps it would have been better to keep the podcast as is include a, an apology within the description or perhaps release uh, you know a bonus episode a la episode party we like to do bonus episodes perhaps they can take a leaf out of our book i'm kidding i'm <laughs> kidding you're listening, guys. Um, the, yeah I, I, no i mean they, they are grandmasters and we we i have a lot of respect for what radio lab do and i think this is a genuine kind of error of judgment but i i, I don't you know denounce their their talent or knowledge and i'm sure they have their reasons but it feels like you know why not release a smaller episode explaining how they got to that decision or explaining at least they never intended for them to come across as a promotion of the views of certain people on 4chan i don't know Hmm. but then you know when, when you were describing it to me just now and i thought and I was kind of asking myself in my own head if that was me in that situation, would I pull the podcast? I think my natural instinct would be to pull the podcast because I'd be embarrassed to yeah. an extent. Well, do, do you know what as well? I, I, I've been deliberating over it today and I think there's definitely two ways to view the act of pulling that podcast. Uh, and it relates very much, I think, to the nature of podcasts uh, and the fact that you're essentially assembling an identity of the podcast through these episodes. Um, the one way to look at it is, and I entirely agree with you, in that you can't pull the episode if you're hoping that that will stop it from being heard. I guess you may minimise the audience, but it's out there. It's done. I listened to it super easy on YouTube. That took no time at all to find. The other th- part right. of it is, I guess symbolically, it dissociates Radio Lab from that set of ideas and it says this is not part of our identity as a podcast i mean that's the thing i guess with podcasting is that it is this amassment of material and if say for example you were doing like a book and you did a first edition and then you thought do you know what i'm not really keen on what i wrote in that chapter for the second edition you might take that out and we would probably not consider that to be suspect or i don't know like a strange thing to do the first edition's already out there but if you have the right. opportunity to reevaluate how you present yourself and your ideas and render them pertinent to how you now feel i wonder if that's perhaps the angle they were going for is that it's like if people look through the radio lab feed and they view that as an assembly of the ideas that we value and that we want to talk about we've now decided that actually probably this shouldn't be one of them that they come across, you know? Sure. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I, I originally was of the of the opinion that they were totally wrong in the way they handled it, and now I'm definitely not so sure. I mean, I still... My, my, my initial question about how this didn't come up pre-publishing yeah. or how it was... How it did come up, but it kind of passed the sense check pre-publishing does baffle me because i know you know we we, we've had conversations previously about episodes of episode party where i've we've chatted about aspects of the podcast where we've um said do we really want to kind of publish this and put you know put ourselves in a position where we could be accused of 
holding a view or promoting a view that we perhaps shouldn't necessarily hold as a podcast yes um you know it be, the, the, the view belongs to an individual or you know one of us or whatever but it doesn't necessarily belong to episode party and we you know we, we kind of we flagged that pre-publishing yeah and we you know we it never you know it never left the cutting room floor i, I do i do wonder what happened with that episode and and what the conversation was inside radio lab about how it might have come across um and i kind of can only hope really that and you know again far be it from me to tell people who are far more experienced and far better than i ever will be at podcasting how to do their jobs and you know we've we've already discussed that we are rank amateurs jack but oh come on um well, I, I mean, I am. You, you do more than one podcast these days. I, I, I only, I'm still pure episode party here, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very much still a novice. But I, I kind of only hope that they perhaps republish the story with additional commentary or revised commentary from themselves, because mm. it still feels like a, an interesting story and perhaps a story that should be told. And if nothing else, you know, uh, uh, from a from a uh, kind of an emotional uh, standpoint, I can completely see the justification for taking down something you feel doesn't really align with uh, what you believe in. I can I can get that. I get that, especially you know, having sat here and discussed it for the last kind of five ten minutes. But I think there's definitely still an outstanding case for this is a story that should be told. And we should probably have another go at telling it. Yeah, I think that's a good shout, Fred. Um, I, I mean, I'm in a state of conflict about this, really, mm. what the best thing is for them to do. I definitely agree, and I think... If, hmm, I don't know whether it's right to say people should go check it out if that's, you know, against the will of Radiolab, but it is out there, and it is an interesting story, and I think it's very interesting. I, I think, as you say, it's something that, I mean, when you hear it as well, feels glaringly like something that should have come under deliberation before it went to be published. But it's still quite an interesting listen. And I think also in the light of this story, I think it's interesting to listen to this podcast and, and contemplate what happened in the aftermath as well. Yeah, Absolutely. I don't think I will listen to it. Maybe that's wrong, but I, I, I think I think you've listened to it, so I, I'm not going to. In the interest of balance, <laughs> we're on a fifty-fifty split on episode party in terms of who and who won't listen to it. But I, I do sincerely hope that it kind of resurfaces in a way that they feel comfortable with presenting once again. But for the for the sake of clarity, white supremacy and and Nazism isn't something I could ever support. And and I don't think I think we can speak on behalf of the podcast by saying we don't support it, just to put ourselves in a position where we can happily publish this and not remove it. Nice, yeah, that stays in the edit. And I think on that note, we probably want to end it. <laughs> um, well, Jack, this has been great. As a quick recap, if you if you're still with us. Please do listen to Long Distance Part 1 and 2. Um, I promise, I think that they clock in at about an hour and a half in total. And I promise you, it will not be an hour and a half wasted. And uh, we'll be back again uh, a fortnight from now with another episode of Episode Party with another special guest. I'm looking forward to it. Sweet. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Hi, it's Jack again. Thank you so much for listening to Episode Party. If you've been enjoying the show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. It would mean a lot. Thank you so much. Goodbye.